<clears throat> so if you don't know me, I was here 14 months. You never know whether they love you when you become bishop elected or they want to get rid of you. <laughs> Berlin, you'll learn that, Tom, Bishop Berlin. <clears throat> I'm the last black and white picture in the hallway. So you know the rest of the story. <clears throat> well, it's great to be here. We turn to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, four through six verses. According to the many of the articles we read, this really pertains to today. In their case, the God of the world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, that's the message, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown us in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, to give that message. Well, <clears throat> the magazines, the magazines I read, and some of those are at the college, it's very clear message that thank God it's Friday is beginning earlier. And Monday morning blues are lasting longer. Those who work in factories go to sleep on the job. Professors pull out old yellow sheets of notes. And students turn in the same paper for several courses. A friend of mine <coughs> has eaten oatmeal for breakfast for 50 years. It was my great privilege not long ago to take him out into the world. <laughs> we had fried eggs, sausage, grits. You know, the, the good tasting stuff. But by now, he's back to oatmeal. When I was at Emory University at Candler School of Theology, <clears throat> my brother-in-law would drop by occasionally. He was in the military, scoping America. And he was in the military, and he read the second paper that I began with the words, as we travel down the dusty roads of life. It became our greeting. He greeted me every time we were together, are you still on the dusty road? Well, I can tell you, the world's changing. Now, my best illustration for that is my own mother. I was coming home from school in Brooksville, Florida, and I was coming home from school, and I saw my brother-in-law, future brother-in-law, knock the screen door off his hinges, and my mother right behind him. Now, he was a, a big football player, a lineman. My mother was five feet tall, and all of a sudden, she threw something at him, and it looked like little pieces of paper to me, 
But I found out later, these are what she was throwing. She was throwing cards, playing cards. My brother-in-law had not sinned one time, but he had discovered a new game called Canasta. He had taken two deck of cards into my mother's house. And the words she said to him, anybody that brings cards into my house will never date my daughter. This is a true story. Two years later, my mother was elected president of the Canasta Club in Brooksville. <laughs> if you don't believe the world's changing, it's very true. Out of all this confusion, the world is changing rapidly. I attended a delegation in Singapore of 3,000 people from around the world. And we were told of pain and suffering in places that we could not find on the map. Oh, none of us could even find them. Out of this confusion, separation, brokenness, sameness of understanding, increasing narcissism, there begins to emerge a confusion about the meaning and direction of life. New concepts of sexuality, professional direction, of faith, personal relationships, the responsibility of being human and a child of God. Oh, just turn on your TV and you can see every known theology, the study of God, being proclaimed. Theology of hope. Theology of of uh, psychology, theology, hope you get this message, a political theology, liberation theology, psychology-centered religion, vision-centered psychology, uh, theology, and the theology of the church. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, this time, like all times, is a very good one if we but knew what to do with it. If we knew what to do. I, th I think, and from my observation, there's two kinds of understanding that the world is craving for. I might call it relationships. They are craving for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, and they're craving for community-centered understanding, the church. The very basic need for personal knowledge and experience of God in our lives. I uh, served Lake Alfred. you know where that is? Just about 10 miles. It's my first church. And uh, <clears throat> I put on my best smile and energy and got pumped up. And my sermon title was, Oh No, It's Monday. And I said to the people, you can even be excited about Monday for the opportunities that await you. And my lay leader's wife came out the back door shaking hands after the service. And she said, preacher, baloney. If you, she was a beautician. And if you had to wash those greasy heads on Monday morning, you wouldn't say, oh, no, it's the opportunity. 
But her point was made. She was saying, speak to me at my need. Eddie Fox, the world evangelist, said it's not the paint on the wall or the color of the carpet or the bulletin. It's the fact, the fact that people need to hear the story once again. Ah, oh, very basic need. I remember at the same time we can feel the world changing at that rapid rate. I get to preaching and I get behind on my notes. <laughs> Jürgen Moltmann, the theologian, says, in a lopsided world, we need a lopsided Savior. What he meant by that was that we need to once again be excited about the message, the story of Jesus. Take it out into the world to meet the point of need in that particular place, that particular community. Oh, the world is not all bad. In fact, it's good. But we've lost the enthusiasm. This is the kernel of this message. There is a great danger for one to see their faith only in terms of gaining the strength to face each new day. To enrich one's marriage or help with the children or maybe to give meaning to a profession. To develop friends, the tendency to form little families that think alike. No room for the different the searcher, the learner, no desire to be part of the moving ebb and flow of God's kingdom here on earth. In that process, we turn to ask the questions. We become containers of God's love. Now, we're not containers. We're channels of God's love. We do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Alan Walker, the Australian evangelist, wrote, No to, to offer Christ as a liberator is a motive for mission that should be the concern of all Christians. To offer Jesus Christ as liberator is a motive for mission. The world cries out, for deliverance in two ways. Release from that inner bondage of the world and the release of outer oppression. Oh, the number one selling book for the Alban Institute, the Once and Future Church, Lauren Mead says, God is calling people across the face of the country and the world God's call is to newness for the whole world. Not just the church, but the whole world. Those of us who are called into the church have a special vocation to work for the renewal and refreshment of the church. Now I'm not talking about ministers. I'm talking about ministers and laity. The centering process. You all have your favorite scriptures, but one short scripture 
that transformed my life. There are the words. And he turned his face toward Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen there. He was going to suffer, be crucified. God has called us into a new creation. Those of you that have been to the Holy Land with me, you know I have one pet peeve. Not bragging, but I've been there 21 times. <laughs> and the point is, they take you to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was buried, the garden of the tomb. And they always take you to the back of that garden to show you Calvary, the crucifixion site. You look at that and you can see Calvary and then you turn your head and just look down and it's the Jerusalem bus center. All that smoke swelling up, that yelling and calling and talking. I always get irritated because why in the world did they build the bus station at Calvary? Then that hits me every time. That's the best place for it where people live. Operate in a shrewd world as responsible believers. <clears throat> Without change, we become empty. Carl Menninger would call us part of the walking dead. I was raised during the polio epidemic. We were very picky about our food, and we would take a nap by the doctor's orders in the afternoon when the sun was blazing. It was, it was a very difficult time. My best, one of my best friends was in an iron lung and so forth. I was on Mount Kenya for the Institute for Evangelism. The drums were beating, telling, uh, telling the villages that the missionaries were coming. When I went into the village, the first village, this woman ran up to me. She grabbed my hand and said, Welcome to our village in the name of Jesus. Well, she, she took me into the building. I kept wanting to turn loose because I noticed that she was suffering from leprosy. Pieces of her fingers missing, earlobes. And you know that Sunday school lessons about leprosy kept flowing through my being. And it bothered me. And she would not turn loose. I kept going. She would not turn loose. She took me into the building, and we ate out of the same bowl with our hands. Now, without God's help, I could never have done that. But Jesus flooded my soul. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, a drunken driver is at the wheel. It is not just the disciples' job to comfort the relations of those who have been killed, but if possible, to seize the steering wheel. It's not a shallow relationship when we accept Jesus. 
It's a deep relationship. Build on the respect, love, communication, sensitivity, loyalty, truth, honesty, openness, so that the merging of not only our minds, but our souls and hearts takes place. The great hymn that we heard in the earlier service, and he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy, the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. In the spirit of the creator, tugging at the existence for our love. Like the psalmist wrote in the 139th Psalm, whither shall I go from my spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I take my bed in Sheol, they are there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even though there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Some of us are like Jonah in scripture. We want to take the next bus out of town. I went to Bulgaria. Some of you have been there with me. The Russian Commonwealth or Empire had fallen. There was no law in Varna, Bulgaria, where we were. No street lights. People were being accosted. And I heard that there was a meeting down at the Civic Center, we might call it, the auditorium on the Black Sea. So I went out in the night, probably a foolish thing to do, and I walked down towards that auditorium. I got there and I opened the door and a burst of light hit me. And then I heard familiar song. I didn't understand the language, but a children's choir was on the stage. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I brought that message back to this church and said there's a village close to Varna, Bulgaria, Trostikovo, and they need a church. There's no place of worship of any faith in that village. So this church rallied to the call, built a church, supported the pastor. And that still the ministry is going on. Now, this is the unusual part. Our scripture tells us the word would be the light of the world. You know what ministry they're doing in Trostikovo, Bulgaria? They turn all the lights on in the darkness. And as the people are going from the village down to the train station, they turn on the lights of the church. They only pierce in the darkness. They turn on all the lights. The pastor's wife bakes cookies. I'm not asking Patty to do that. <laughs> and the minister, the pastor, makes coffee. People stop there to get the breakfast. And they tell them the story of Jesus. I invited... <clears throat> uh, 
pastor of the largest church in Methodism, a United Methodism, and uh, at that time, Bill Henson, we had been in graduate school together. And I said, Bill, come and preach at Little Lake Alford. Uh, one of those powerful messages. Well, he came, and uh, he was billed to the top. <laughs> and I said to him, <clears throat> come on out and preach one of those great messages. He came out. We had had the singing. <laughs> and he just started telling the story of Jesus. He just started telling the story of Jesus. I mean, word for word, the miracles, the, the suffering, the, the whole life, the childhood. And I kept sitting there, we paid for your plane ticket. <laughs> We're going to give you an honorarium. Preach one of those great sermons. Now, this is a true story. I, when I say that, somebody will ask me afterwards, was the rest of it not true? <laughs> but this is a true story. He gave the invitation after the story of Jesus and the altar was full. I can, I can leave you one thought. It's your responsibility as a believer to tell the story of Jesus over and over and over again. In his name we pray. Amen.